0: You're listening to Episode 98 of the Mud Stories Podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are never, ever alone. Welcome to the show. I am so glad you're here. And if this is your first time joining us, an extra special welcome to you. This is a place where we're committed to diving into our muddy places, sharing what we're learning through our mud and being in it together and I'm so glad you're here. Today I'm thrilled to welcome Jen Bricker to the show. Jen is an aerialist, motivational speaker and state champion in power tumbling who lives in Los Angeles, California. She has traveled internationally with Britney Spears Circus Tour and has been featured as a headline aerialist in places like Las Vegas, New York, Tokyo and Dubai. Jen loves organization, healthy eating, superhero movies, cute dogs, and she's been known to feel deeply and laugh often. Through her faith, drive, and a determination, she helps encourage us to dream big, garner our courage, and know that nothing is impossible. Jen, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, thank you. That was an awesome introduction. <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks for being an awesome person. Yeah. Um, So before we dive into the adversity and mud you faced, I thought we could just do a few fun like little warm-up questions to get us started. Are you up for that? Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay. So are you a morning person or a night person?
1: I was a night person my entire life. And then when I shifted my whole health and nutrition around, I have now done a 180 and become a morning person.
0: Isn't that so hard? I find myself a night person too, but I've been striving toward becoming a more morning person and it has has to be an intentional choice to go to bed earlier, don't you think?
1: Yes. Oh, I remember when I first, my trainer was like, you need to go to bed between nine and ten. And I'm like, excuse me? (laughs) (laughs) And so I just committed. I went into like hibernation for three months and I would just lay there and just lay there and then eventually... You fall
0: asleep, and your body—you know—you can train your body to do anything. So, it's amazing. <laughs> right, I know. And the benefit—have you felt the benefits that they all talk about of, of that sleep before midnight?
1: One hundred percent. I mean, the difference is noticeable, outwardly, but also inwardly. It's—it's it's very, yeah, big I difference.
0: I know. I keep reading about it. Um, there's a guy named Sean Stevenson who wrote a book about sleep. And um, I've been diving into his research. It's fascinating how important sleep is. So I'm working on that. Yes. I'm a work in progress. (laughs) Okay. What's the craziest thing you've ever eaten?
1: The craziest thing I've ever eaten would be... Because I know
0: you've been to a lot of places. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Squid intestines is one. That was in Japan. Squid intestines? Squid intestines. It was very interesting. And then I recently... I was in mainland China and I had
0: duck tongue duck jen i think you win for the weirdest things i've ever heard asking this question (laughs) oh my word duck tongue
1: Uh who
0: like okay so is that delicious i can't even i I, loved it really
1: (gasps) i did it was kind of like jerky like you ate it i mean it was like you held it on a straw almost but it wasn't a straw it was part of the, I guess, ligaments of of the mouth, but and then you just eat the little pieces of meat off and it's like jerky almost. It was
0: really good. Oh, okay. Well that is good for me to know. If I ever find myself being served duck tongue, I'm gonna know, Jensen There you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then um what is something you've used, bought, or eaten lately that you think we have to know about today? Like something you're loving that you mm-hmm. you know something you maybe use a lot or that you just discovered or that's like you know interesting
1: sure Do you think? um i would say something that's really interesting to be used topically and internally is aloe like the actual plant oh. so i buy the big leaves at whole foods or sprouts uh-huh. or whatever yep. and um, cut off the spiky parts cut it in half and then harvest out the middle store in a glass jar and it's great to put on your skin overnight or during the day or even before makeup because it acts as a barrier so that your skin doesn't get broken out. But also, it's really good to ingest for your digestive system and just internally.
0: Wow. I have a feeling you are a wealth of knowledge when it comes to this because I, <laughs> I have ne- I would have never thought to get the plant and harvest the inside. I mean, I know you can buy aloe vera gel, but I'm betting it has a lot of things in it that we don't need. Like Exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fascinating. Okay, last one. You are amazing at this. Okay, <laughs> so tell us. I want to know two unique or surprising facts about yourself and then maybe a couple pet peeves because we all have pet peeves that um, are kind of funny and interesting and, and help us relate to one another. So a couple interesting things and a couple pet peeves or one of each, whatever. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um. One of the most interesting things about me is that my heart is on the opposite side.
0: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm.
1: So I was born with it on the other side and... There's not really a rhyme or reason. Nothing else is the opposite, but just the heart. And so when you, wow. there's always a, you know, the certain side of the chest that the doctor would do the stethoscope on, and mm-hmm. mine is the opposite. Interesting. Yes. Wow. Yeah.
0: That is a very unique fact.
1: Yeah, yes. yeah. It's not, I don't think it's that common. I, I've never met anyone else with it like that, or heard of anyone mm-hmm. that knew anyone. So I think it's kind of rare. I, I don't yeah. know how rare, but...
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: So, um, and pet peeves. Wow. Well, I feel like I have a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> me too, friend. Me too. Sometimes I feel bad to share them because yeah. then I'm like, well, that's um, going to make me look super high maintenance.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, yeah, you just have to give me, like, take it with a grain of salt right, and we all right. have pet peeves.
0: But we all have them. That's well, the thing, Jen. You know, so.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, I have, like, zero tolerance for bad drivers. I just <laughs> cannot. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> seriously, like I have tried. I mean, God has seriously calmed my road rage, I will say, but it's still in there where I'm like, why are you driving so slow? What is wrong with you? Like, you need to do this and go faster. Why do you slow on? down? Yeah, yeah. Like, just, I mean, really like zero tolerance for that kind of thing. Um,
0: well, I and also- that's hard living in Los Angeles too because that we have so much traffic, I'm sure it escalates your you know adversity in that <laughs> for sure. It
1: seriously, does oh my gosh, it seriously does. Um, I also hate when people leave cabinet doors or any kind of door open, like, just mm-hmm. close the door.
0: I right. don't. Right. <laughs> My kids do that all the time. And I find that I have to close them before I can sit and relax in that room. Like, Yes. Yeah. I can relate. I can relate. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Well, you are no stranger to adversity. In fact, almost right at the very beginning, your adversity started. I would love it if you would just go back in time and share with us some of the details of your birth and what happened after that and how adoption has been so special to you.
1: Yeah, um, my biological parents were born and raised in Romania. And they got married in Romania. And then they moved to the United States, where um, I was born. And they left me in hospital, put me up for adoption. They had already had my older sibling. And they were immigrants still from Romania. And you know, they were still trying to find their way in this country. And also, I was born without legs, you know, so there is a lot of reasons why they didn't feel that they could handle me as a child. The doctor said that I might have to have extra medical care and all of these things. So they're just, in their head, it just didn't work for them to, for for many reasons. And some reasons I probably will never know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's just the way it is. And then, um, so I was left in the hospital.
0: Do you know if ahead of time they knew that you didn't have Lower limbs. Did, do you know if that was a surprise at birth?
1: Well, there was only one sonogram done during the entire pregnancy, and my biological mom didn't speak English at the time, mm. so she knew by this, like the look on the doctor's face, that something wasn't right. But he was speaking in English. I would, I'm assuming, to my yeah. biological father, and yeah. so she never knew. So she didn't know until I was born. Wow. Mm-hmm. So
0: what happened? I mean, you're left at the hospital.
1: Yeah. And then I went into foster care for the first three months of my life. And actually my first, my name for the first three months was Holly Ann. Oh. That was my, yeah, that was my name in, in my, in the foster home with Nana and Papa. That that was the names of, um, or what we all called them who had me in their foster care and they were the sweetest people and, you know, just bonded with me and took care of me. And then, My mom and dad, uh, they were the least likely candidates ever, Gerald and Sharon Bricker, living in the middle of nowhere in southern Illinois. (laughs) My mom couldn't have, literally, Um, my mom couldn't have kids anymore, and she had my three brothers, and so she always wanted a baby girl. And she prayed for 10 years, and she heard about me one day. There was a baby girl born without legs, and she was just like, well, that must be mine, and it just— clicked in her head and that was it. And so she talked to my brothers and my dad and they were all on board, you know, and they just were excited to have a new member in the family.
0: How old were your brothers when you were adopted?
1: They were 10, 12 and 14 years old. And so so it's a really unique age, right? And they're all boys and it's touching that they were so excited, you know?
0: Yeah, it is. I have a, a 12-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. And I I think my kids would die and go to heaven if I adopted right now. They would think that Aww. was the best. Well, because they're at that age where they're really intrigued. They can understand. They're older. They could nurture. And I'm sure you got ultimate care, <laughs> ultimate attention, <laughs> I did. I'm guessing.
1: I did. And it was cool because my parents let my brothers ask like a special thing for them. They let them choose my name, which was really cool. And they chose Jen. They did. They said it was funny. Like they were all sitting around throwing out. What about this name? What about that name? Ooh, no, I know so-and-so and that's her name and I don't like her and blah, 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 blah. And so they said it was quite a funny scene. And the rule was that they all had to agree on one name. So that was the catch.
0: (laughs) That was the that was the catch. Okay, Jen. So no legs. I mean, everyone listening probably is wondering how was life like growing up. How did you learn to do things? How how does it all work? I'm sure you've answered this question a gazillion times. Um, (laughs) So help us know because um, what they may not know is that it really didn't stop you from doing much of anything.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. No. You know, my brothers. They. They were, you know, teaching roughhousing with me, teaching me to jump off tables and chairs. And I was climbing trees and just, I mean, I was always active and outdoors and I loved sports. And Mm -hmm. I just, I wasn't raised with limits. My parents allowed me they didn't make me afraid of things and they didn't coddle me so they said you know you can do whatever you want and I just so happened to come out an athlete and so I wanted to do softball and basketball and volleyball and all with able-bodied athletes because in my head why would I do a disabled sport like it didn't make any sense to me mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody who was disabled so and I wasn't treated that way I never used my wheelchair in the house at home I didn't use it much at school And so it was just one of these things where I'm going to do these sports just like my other friends. And it wasn't even a thing to think about as a kid. I was just like, well, of course I'm going to do this because I want to and I enjoy this. And so I just, you know, had to learn how to do things a bit differently sometimes. You know, I mean, running for the volleyball and then getting your arms together in time, you know, like that (laughs) takes a bit of time. But I was actually really good because guess what? I'm already low to the ground where all those balls go. Right. And fast. Yes. So, you know, things like that just worked. And softball, when I was, originally they had me hitting towards third base to get, so it would give me more time to get to first base. Mm -hmm. But then they realized how fast I was and that you just saw a pile, a trail of dust and smoke behind me. And they're like, Okay, well, I don't think you need to
0: just hit a third base anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think this is going to be a problem. Okay, well, so Jen, yeah. help us understand, like, when you say born with no legs, like, does yeah. that mean there was no femur at all? There was no hip socket joint? Because I know how, how you've described that you walk, you use your hands and then swing your body forward. So your hands are sort of like your feet and your hands altogether. together. Yeah. Um, so help us understand that because I was so thrilled to read your story and how just nothing was impossible to you. It's so inspiring.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah. So basically, yes, I have my hips and I have femur. Okay. So um, I have full range of motion in my, basically it's everything. If you saw a picture of me in a bathing suit, you, I mean, everything looks the same. It's just like it just stopped. So it just stops like
0: midway down the thigh. Right? The upper thigh. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I
1: have my upper thigh about maybe like six inches below my hips. Okay. And they kick and move and full range of motion just like your legs would. Okay. Well, that helps to yes. rent. Yeah. That helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, exactly. So it's actually amazing how I was literally created physically because I have perfect proportions So that, and if I didn't, if, if one was longer than the other, or if both of them, if both my thighs were longer, like close to the knee, Mm -hmm. I could have, I
0: I wouldn't have been able to do tumbling like I did. Right. Well, let's get into that because as you were growing up, you were doing all kinds of this crazy activity and crazy activity, meaning you're busy, always on the go, always in motion, always talking, always interacting. Um, Would you say you're a people person? I mean, reading about about your story, I, I kind of felt like, oh, she's just she must be gregarious and outgoing and just never meets a stranger. Would you? Yes. That's who you, say that <laughs> you are. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so Take us through how that led you to tumbling. Because in the introduction, I did mention that you were a state champion. So tell us how that worked and what that journey was like and how it led you on as you grew in your adolescent years to adulthood.
1: Yes. When I was younger, one of the sports that I loved, I loved watching gymnastics on TV. I was always drawn to it. And I was like, I want to be a gymnast. I mean, that's it. I want to be a gymnast. I was like, well, maybe I might have to figure out the balance beam a little bit, you know, but I'm going to totally do it. I don't care. (laughs) And, um, and then I, I saw Dominique Mochiano on TV as well. And she was a gymnast and, I just thought, wow, she's Romanian. And I knew that I was Romanian. And I thought, that's so cool. I was like, you know, a seven-year-old, this is what you bond on, just little mm-hmm. things. And uh, she was small as well, like a small person. And I was small. And I just thought, man, we look alike. And this is cool. We have a lot in common. And I loved gymnastics. So it was just this awesome kind of meld. And so then I started competing. I started competing And we had power tumbling, actually, where I grew up. So it was a small town. So power tumbling in the Midwest was very, very popular in that time. And basically what power tumbling is, is that it's the tumbling portion. In gymnastics, you have four events. One of them is the floor, and it's a big square. Well, in power tumbling, it's a long runway. So it's Uh. the same kind of blue mat and sometimes it has springs under it or rods, you know, rod or spring, like the gymnasts floors are all springs. So sometimes these are are rods or they are springs. And so basically it's just a long runway type thing with a white line down the middle. So, you know, you know Mm -hmm. where you're staying on and it's just the tumbling. So you would do two different passes and in your, in your difficulty level. And that's what I competed in for four years. And one state champion in my division, went to the AAU Junior Olympics and got fourth all around in my division. And just, Amazing. you know, I didn't. Yeah. And it's funny because everyone's telling me how much of an inspiration I am and blah, blah, blah. And I was on all these TV shows and newspapers and mm-hmm. news stations. And I was actually so irritated by that. <laughs> I, was just, I was so like, why are why am I an inspiration? Why aren't my friends? Like, I'm doing the same thing. I just didn't get it.
0: Wow. Your perspective is so captivating to me because I think, you know, I had a previous podcast guest who wrote a book about happiness, and she described that, you know, we're all kind of born genetically with a predisposition to optimism and happiness, and, uh, you know, then we all have adversity and circumstances, so that that inborn part, the research tells us, is about 40%, and then 10% is the circumstances, which, you know, you would think that a lot of us would think that maybe that's a higher percentage. But beyond Mm. that, a full 50% is our own choices and our own decisions and what we decide Mm. to do. And I'm guessing that, yeah, maybe perhaps you were born with a disposition that made it easier for you to be optimistic, you know, your personality. But let's not deny the fact that you put in a lot of hard decision making and a lot of work and you chose to get up and go to the gym and you chose to power tumble again and again and again, you know, you made decisions. Because you decided nothing was impossible, mm, which gives us hope the, for us because we can decide too, right? Of course.
1: I mean, every everyone can. And I. it's funny you mentioned happiness because people ask me, do you think happiness is a choice? And I say absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think those statistics are really fascinating. But I'm also not surprised because you do have to choose. You do make the choice. I mean, I have people in my life who've had – really horrendous circumstances in their childhood Mm -hmm. and by the person they are today you would never know because they chose to not let it overcome them they chose to overcome it and and that's exactly the same you know my parents instilled me with that mindset and gave me that and and yeah maybe you could say I I was born you know with that disposition as well and then it when you get older then it comes the time where it's your choice Mm -hmm. and you either you know You choose which direction you want to go.
0: Right. Well, let's talk about what direction you chose to go, because after you did the tumbling championship and all of that, you moved on. I know you worked at Disney World for a while. Let's give a little love to Disney, right? (laughs) We had had Disney passes for a while. But then beyond that, you uh, discovered another um, unique aerialist profession. So take us on the journey on how that happened and maybe share some of the adversity you faced along the way.
1: Yeah, so when I was 19, I moved to Orlando and started working at Disney World. I saw the performers there, and and there wasn't actually an aerialist performer, but I, I saw some acrobats, and I saw different performers, and I thought, man, you know, I hadn't been in Tumbling in over five years at this point, and I'd gotten out of shape and really just kind of been doing my own thing and living life and was in Florida, and it was so exciting, all these people from all these different countries and new boys from all over the world to be distracted (laughs) by (laughs) and uh, food and the beach and, you know, Disney world. So all of that. And then I had told a manager at Disney of, she was a former gymnast. And I said, man, I think I want to get back into this again somehow. And she introduced me to this guy named Nate and he had been a collegiate gymnast and also been performing as an acrobat and an aerialist for over 10 years. And so he just started teaching me all these things. And before I knew it, we were actually creating acts together. We had a trampoline act together and then a silk act together. And I'm like, man, we're really good together. We should we should really
0: start doing this and okay now before you move on to what you ended up doing explain to everybody in case there's somebody listening that doesn't know what an aerialist is maybe they've never seen one or they don't I mean you say silk you say trampoline like give us a lowdown like 101 what is it
1: okay sure so acrobat means like a flipping and tumbling portion so I was on a trampoline do he and I had an act together on the trampoline so it was flips and jumps and tons of massive coordination and technique because this mm-hmm. is not a backyard trampoline. This is a 12 by 14, $10,000 trampoline mm-hmm. that sends you very high in the air. Mm-hmm. So one wrong move and you're right off the trampoline. So it's very, very much uh, technique. And then an aerialist, an aerialist is any, any apparatus in the air. So a hoop, which is called a lira, it's okay. a circle that hangs in the air, or you have this silk fabric or you have a hammock you have silk hammock Mm -hmm. you have straps so there's all these different apparatuses that you can use in your while you're suspended in the air what I primarily have performed on is the silk fabric or the silk hammock okay and so Nate yeah my old partner and I Nate we did our acts were all on this red beautiful silk fabric that would you know sometimes we are 30 feet in the air sometimes you're Twenty feet in the air. Sometimes you're you're higher, and it's um when you're when you're doing a duo act, it's you know it's kind of cool. You can open up possibilities and what you can do with each other's bodies and what you do with the story and the skills that you do. So that's what an aerialist and an actor very complex,
0: is. yeah. And it takes a yeah. lot of strength, a lot of upper body strength, whether you have legs or not. Right? Oh I mean, yeah, no, so it's, much strength. It's all upper body and
1: core. core. a lot of core. Yes, a lot, a lot, a lot of core. And, and at this time, as i'm I'm meeting Nate, I was totally out of shape. I needed like everybody else has these rock hard statue bodies. And here I am, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I need to lose weight. I need to get in more shit, better shape. and And that all just actually happened very organically as i he and I were training mm-hmm. five days a week for at least two hours a time split up on trampoline and silks. And I was, you know, we had a huge learning curve. I mean, yeah. every, no, I don't want to say every, but 90% of the skills that you do as an aerialist with silks, you use your legs. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we were just experimenting day, day, day after day after day after day, trying to figure out how to make things work and experimenting. Like he knew how to do all these things, but he always relied on legs. So right. we then had to... He had to relearn and then he had to teach me and, you know, and it just kind of worked out beautifully. And then within a year and a half of me being in the entertainment industry, I was on tour with Britney Spears.
0: Incredible. Incredible. Which what incredible. was that like? What was that like? Oh my gosh,
1: that was insane! It it so there was the way the concert was set up is we would have an opener like the Pussycat Dolls or Jordan Sparks or some mm-hmm. some big you know singer and and that would be the opener and then there'd be about a twenty five minute break and then the concert actually started okay and so once the concert actually started that's when we performed I we see. there was a couple acts that went before us. Then we performed, and then Britney came out. So mm-hmm. it wasn't actually an opener. It was there was Part like the a concert. major count. It was exactly so. Yeah. That's why, like, when we were featured, so there wasn't anything else going on at the stage at the time. So everyone's watching you. So the pressure was on. Un- um,
0: oh. oh my word! Did, yes. Do you get nervous? Well, of course. So the of first course. time, I mean, have you yeah. fallen? Do you get nervous? Like give us the scoop this is crazy well right I mean I had only been in the industry like I
1: said a year and a half and then this is like the highest grossing tour in the world a featured act this is something that you maybe maybe once get in your lifetime Mm -hmm. as a performer Mm -hmm. and I got it in the very beginning so it kind of put me on this fast track but I mean the pressure was insane because they weren't afraid to fire anyone right I couldn't make a mistake I especially couldn't make a mistake because, number one, I didn't have legs. And number two, (laughs) I was just starting out, and everybody was so afraid of me being a performer. Well, I don't know what people are going to think. I mean, I don't know how people are going to react. I like it, but I don't know whatever. all – I mean, we had so many people turn us down, turn us away. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, as God – how he works – He was just like, oh, well, I'm going to actually make you a featured act on the highest grossing tour in the world, send you all over North America, all over Australia, Madison Square Garden three times, Staples Center, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And people lost their minds and loved our act. And so it busted the door wide open for me as a performer. And those first, it probably took me five to 10 shows, the first five to 10 shows to like not be losing my mind every single performance.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I can imagine. You
1: know, yeah, the pressure and then the intensity and then the difficulty of the act. Yeah, you know, it would be hard enough for
0: somebody who's been, a, you know, a veteran performer for twenty years, but let alone someone it's your first, you know, couple years in the industry. Crazy amount of pressure, but I'm guessing it eased as you got comfortable with your routines together and the timing got kind of perfected and you. Um, we're moving forward in it. But the adversity that you faced, I mean, not only in that situation, but throughout your life with people's reactions to your physical stature. Let's talk a little bit about that, how you face some adversity, because we all have people who judge us physically, but you, um, it's so obvious on the outside to people that you're different and not everybody has inspiration or faith in you as you would hope for them to have. So talk a little bit about the various responses you've encountered when people meet you and how you answer their inquiries and and how all that works.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think growing up I was really protected by a lot of things for a reason, to, to be able to kind of have the mindset I had. So I wasn't bullied in school, thankfully. I had a great childhood and great school um, experiences. And so, I mean, of course, kids would ask what happened or things like that. But you have to remember, I went to a very small school. So you know, once kindergarten, mm-hmm. once the first day of kindergarten's over and everyone gets their questions out of the way, nobody cares anymore. Because, right. Right. You know, it's I'm just Jen, and that's just how it is. And mm-hmm. who cares? But so I would say a majority of this has come as I've gotten older and just seeing people you know react like you know, I live in a very interesting place in my life because I because I do acrobatic and aerial stuff, you have I have this side of people that treat me like a superhuman where I never have a bad day, they think, and I'm mm. superhuman and I can, you know, do anything and everything. And I never have bad days. I never cry. I never get mad, mm. never have a bad attitude, which obviously is not true because I'm human. Right. And then you have the other spectrum where people think, oh my gosh, like, oof, that's so sad. How unfortunate. Pity, pity, sympathy. Mm. Um, I'm sure she can't do anything like, wow, it's what you can drive. I mean, you can swim, I'm like, and I can breathe
0: also. <laughs> Same. You know? <laughs> oh God bless so, their hearts, right? Oh goodness. Right? Right. Exactly. So
1: in one day, I can have literally mm. every end of the spectrum and anything in between. Yeah. And then you have people who they're like, Oh my gosh, you're so strong and fit. Like you're obviously an athlete. What do you do? I mean, it's just like couldn't be more opposite of reactions right and it it
0: kind of throws
1: me around a bit sometimes you're like whoa wait a minute what <laughs> <laughs>
0: which reaction am I going to now like what mode do I have to be to respond now it's that's crazy exactly yeah exactly. yeah well help us no, give us some advice as we encounter people who look different than us or people who act different than us or maybe physically are different than us. Because sometimes there are legitimate curiosities, right? And and what is the best way to ask curious questions, especially if we're parents with kids? And um, when we see someone different than us, what's the best way in your opinion, and your advice? Yeah, I mean, I, I can speak for
1: myself and say that I think the best thing to do is just be honest. If you have a question, ask it. If you don't, don't. It, it there doesn't need to be any sort of anything different than you treat anybody else. Like, mm. I think people overthink it and then that's when they act weird and make things uncomfortable and it's so unnecessary. Like, if they want help, they'll ask you. If, you know, they have a question, wouldn't you rather someone ask than sit there and like be weird or stare or Something like that, and especially with kids, I think it's really important because I'll sometimes parents they'll their kids will ask or they'll look and they'll kind of jerk them away and they're like no no don't do that and I actually interject and I'm like mm. no no it's okay let them ask yeah. and I kind of step in because that's, that's a big moment for their kids right there right. and they need to know that they're doing their kid a disservice by because what's going to happen and I don't mean to sound like harsh but what could happen is That moment right there when their kid's four or five years old and they pull their kid away, who's like, but mommy, she doesn't have legs. Why doesn't she have legs? I'm like, no, 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 no. Pull them away. Don't ask. They're going to be afraid to ask their whole life. Mm. That's not just a kid trait. That's going to be an adult trait too.
0: Yeah, I know. but It's so tricky because sometimes I've been told, well, you know, just interact just like we're just normal There is no difference. And then as relationship builds, then there's more security and more camaraderie for there to be those conversations about why. But I love that you're saying, you know, I can just imagine a four year old passing you in the mall and going, hey, where's your legs? (laughs) You know, they're just so innocent and um, there's no judgment in their question. It's just pure curiosity. And I think as we grow older, we do overthink it. We are worried how we'll be perceived if we ask or worried that there'll be a judgment attached, an implied judgment attached to our just innocent question. And um, thanks for giving us the freedom today to just be able to just be refreshingly honest and just ask and move on to the next thing you know oh yeah like what kind of beautiful hair product do you use for your hair to be so (laughs) great
1: oh that's so funny
0: I know so I love that and it's important that we teach our kids appropriate ways to respond um, but not to be afraid to ask so I'm glad you're encouraging us with that So you're doing aerial you're being an aerialist you're traveling Um, when this might take us back a little bit in your story but when did you first learn that you were adopted and then I know you began to discover about your biological family and pursue connecting with them so can you take us there and help us know some of the adversity that was there for that some of the mud you faced and and what has happened.
1: Yeah, so I grew up always knowing that I was adopted ever since I can remember. Uh, my mom just said that another nice lady held her, held me in her stomach until they could come and get me, Aww, and that is uh, it just lovely. made sense to me, and I mm-hmm. knew, and I got it, and I was like, okay, so I always knew I was adopted, and I knew, like I said, that I was Romanian and all of that, and then I found out right before I turned 16 years old, God just put it on my heart to ask my parents, if there was anything they knew about my adoption, that they hadn't told me. And that right there is just such a, that just doesn't make any sense why I would think that. It was totally meant to be, that thought was placed in my mind because Mm -hmm. we were so open and honest. There weren't secrets. I mean, why would I think if there was anything my parents knew about my biological family, I wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. And so when I asked, my mom said, well, yeah, actually there is. And I'm just thinking, what are you talking? You're not even supposed to respond to that. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, it was almost like a rhetorical question. And then she tells me that my biological last name is would have been Mocianu, And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, holy crap, what do you... So that means that Dominique... Because, okay, Mocianu is not exactly a common last name. right? And I, didn't, I knew exactly what that meant. It meant that Dominique Mochianu, the gymnast that I that I loved when I was younger was my biological sister.
0: Hmm. And also the fact the thought was planted in your mind. And and I think what you're talking about is the Holy Spirit really led you to be inspired to pursue that.
1: Yes, that's exactly, exactly what I meant by that and totally led by the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. and orchestrated by God (laughs) completely. I mean, obviously, you know, very clearly. And so Dominique Mociano was part of the 1996 U.S. Women's, Olympic team and they were the magnificent seven. At that time they were the first mm. team to win gold for the US in gymnastics in the Olympics, and it was a really big deal, you know, and they were um just such a beloved team. And so I mm. that was the team I grew up watching as a really little kid twenty years ago this year. Can you believe that? I can't twenty years ago.
0: It. And we did gold again. I'm so happy. I'm so we happy did. with that. I know.
1: We did um, two Olympics in a row. I know, Women's,
0: but yep. but they started it, so that was awesome.
1: They did, they did, yeah. So it was, you know, it was incredible to find that out. It was, it was kind of not kind of. It was, it was disbelief. You know, I absolutely. Bet. I bet. And that started this the four year journey to find out, um, to to contact my. I have a younger sister, Christina, as well, and she grew up. Her and Dominique grew up together, and I was the middle. And I was adopted and so I I just wanted them to know that they had an, another sister out mm-hmm. there that I existed and mm-hmm. prayed about it so much and it was after a couple failed attempts and four years later, I finally got in contact with both my sisters and we all met in May of 2008.
0: Wow. Tell us what that was like.
1: Yeah, it was it was surreal, but organic Mm -hmm. and that sounds like polar opposites but the surreal part was just the way the whole my whole life had unfolded at this point like Mm -hmm. this is crazy god obviously gave me that that connection without me even realizing what that was for then it unfolded then four years later i finally get in contact with them and now i'm meeting them i mean it was just you know and then christina my younger sister she is it it's like looking at my face
0: on a person's <laughs> body with legs. it was just crazy and the fact that your your family you have only brothers, and to find that you have two sisters biologically just was just a beautiful thing yes it
1: it really was I mean Christina and I look alike and sound alike and just the whole thing you know and then and Dominique and I have similar voices too I mean, just the whole. The whole thing was so wild and then the natural organic part that I mentioned comes in I think primarily because of DNA I mean mm-hmm. just our genes are very strong I think we're kind of like purebred. I feel like when we have purebred genes or something because they're <laughs> just so they're so dominant and they're so yeah. overpowering and it's just it's mind-blowing and that was the same year that my performing career started 2008 so it's just mm-hmm. kind of cool that both like the sister relationship and the career actually grew at the same time. And that was something that they could be a part of from the beginning. Like they could see my, they kind of knew about it when we met and then Mm -hmm. they saw me on the Britney tour and they got to kind of come to different things here and there. So it's just cool how the the two grew
0: simultaneously. Yeah. What advice would you have or what um, insight might you offer to somebody who is adopted or maybe that, mom who placed their baby for adoption all those years ago, but feels that pull to reconnect or pursue connection with a biological family. Um, what have you learned along the way and, and if somebody's facing that mud today, what would you what would you offer to them?
1: I mean that you know everyone's every single situation when it comes to adoption is different. Every story is different and every circumstance is different. So I'm fully aware of that. I think if you're being pulled to something, I think it's for a reason. Mm -hmm. I think you should listen. That's definitely the spirit pulling you to something for a reason. So I would say don't let fear rule your decisions or make your decisions. You know, just really go out on that leap of faith. But also understand that even if your story doesn't have a happy ending, it it doesn't define you. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't also define your happiness. Because people are in all different parts of their journey when it comes to adoption, no matter what end they're on and whether they're a mother that gave their child up for adoption, whether they're a kid that was put up for adoption, no matter what person, what angle they're coming at, people, people heal differently Mm -hmm. and people process differently. So, and I know it can be a big discouragement if someone doesn't want to meet somebody or if it doesn't turn out to be a happy ending, but it's someone, you know, someone once told me, you know, meeting someone where they're at in life is such a gift. And I fully understand that now. And, and basically what that means is just being able to not judge somebody or be okay with where someone's at in their life. That is a huge skill that you kind of have to, it's like a muscle you have to work. Because I mean, I'm guilty of it being irritated where someone's at, like if they're not where you're at in life, mm-hmm. well, why aren't you where I'm at? Right. Well, come on, step it up. What? and that's really not fair. It's it's easy to get into that mentality. I am I am very guilty of that, but I think in, when it comes to adoption, that's really 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 something to think about and put into practice as much as you can and just giving grace to somebody you know, even if they don't deserve it.
0: Yeah, that is so key because you faced a couple of closed doors before you actually met. I mean, you mentioned it in mm-hmm. passing, but it was a four-year journey towards yeah. that. And um had you stopped and quit, you know, you wouldn't have the relationship you have today, which, you know, that was years ago that y'all met, right? Years ago.
1: Yes, years ago. Yeah, almost, wow, I think nine years ago.
0: Yeah, so... I would love for you to encourage some of our single friends today, because often being single can be a challenge. And I know that, you know, getting married someday is a dream of yours. It's something that you're open to. And um, would you talk a little bit about the gift that singleness is, that it can be, but also the mud that it sometimes is and any advice you'd have for those who find singleness to be a muddy place for them right now?
1: Oh my gosh. I, girl, I can speak about this all day, but I will keep it brief.
0: <laughs> well, give us your I, best nuggets because, uh, you know, I think the, in the population of the world, you know, a lot of our constructs of society are, are, are built for, for people with partners and, um, it's tough. It's really tough. And we don't have enough people talking about this. I
1: agree. I'm really glad you mentioned that actually. And, and I, you know, I, I do have a desire to be married one day and to have kids, but God is telling me over and over and over again to just focus on what he has me doing right now. There's so much beauty in it. And there's going to be a day where I'm going to crave the time right now that I'm having my alone time and my, you know, just being productive all day, every day and being able to just focus on me and my career and what I'm doing and my friends and enjoying things, you know? So really enjoying the singleness and seeing that there are so many gifts and God is purposeful. He doesn't just have me single for no reason, like just to torture me. Right. It's not, it's not like that. And, and there's so much mud, there's so much mud that comes along with being single that I personally can speak from, whether it's from, you know, fighting purity to, Mm -hmm. um, fighting just being lonely, just the emotional companionship, not just the physical part, but the emotional part as well. And falling into the trap of, you know, my, my issue, I come from the side where I travel all the time, and I'm in countries a lot. So I meet, I meet too many people. And this has caused Mm. problems for me. You know, well, this guy's amazing. And this guy's amazing, too. And I mean, I don't just say that lightly. These were you know, incredibly unbelievable men that are coming into my life, but maybe four or five at a time and it's, or who knows how many. And, and so when you have different people coming at you, it creates a whole raft of problems because I do want to meet the right guy one day. I don't just want to sleep around. I want to do it in a godly manner. And so when you're coming at it from that way, it, I lived, I'm I'm not going to lie for probably years in a state of haze where I'm just like, well, is he, is he the right one? Well, well maybe he is. Well, I don't know. But mm-hmm. like, and so it was always when someone would ask me if I was dating someone, it was like, well, this guy's interested in that guy. There was always like a swirl of people just kind of hanging around. And that became very toxic for me. And um, really just having to like choose happiness, choosing that, I was going to live godly and choosing that I was going to be obedient, and that mm-hmm. sometimes is an everyday battle to be real
0: yeah, yeah, well, especially in our culture right now, I mean, Snapchat and all the other apps, the hookup apps I mean the hookup culture is no joke, it really is not, and a lot of a lot of guys, um, even in the church, I think, even as christians um, It's tricky to navigate the expectations and the, you know, what do you call them, social norms of how you interact dating. And I know some of my single friends, it's really a struggle because you think you've got somebody who believes the same as you. And then, surprise, surprise, you know, you've got another situation on your hands. So it is... um, not something that's easy to navigate and yet I find it inspiring for you to make a decision to choose just like you've chosen to be disciplined with your health or to be you know you know disciplined with your exercise or with your happy attitude or your optimism it's the same in this area too absolutely um, is what I'm hearing you say absolutely you know it's all a choice yes discipline is the right you're you're totally right it it, they're all the same. Which isn't easy. No. That's not easy. No. The easy way out is the instant gratification, which then leads us to heartache in the end. Yes. You know, it, we are hurting our own selves. Yes, so. absolutely. How, how can those of us who are married help our single friends? How can we lighten their load and be what they need?
1: Oh, that is a really good question.
0: Because we're all busy up in our business with our kids' football schedule and our school and our work and our this and our that. But yet we probably could do better at reaching out somehow, what what would be helpful? What yeah, do you think? I think, I think including just um, including your single
1: friends in any activities that you have going on. I think that's great. Like, just for someone to be, because sometimes when you're single, you're, you don't have kids and you don't have the husband to think about. So you're, sometimes you just have time where you're like, well, what am I going to do?
0: You're available. Yeah, you're, you're available. available. So
1: yeah. it's like, even if you just ask, like, just ask them to come be a part of whatever you're doing. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. And then it may, it won't be as overwhelming for you because you're already doing it, but they're getting to join in. Your mind isn't like sitting there alone, wanting to Snapchat somebody, wanting to like call someone that, you know, would be fun to hang out with. And then you start getting set or whatever, like all these things, mm-hmm. then you can, your mm-hmm. mind can be
0: occupied with a friend or an activity or whatever you're doing. And I think our kids could benefit from relationships with single adults because, um, a lot of y'all are fun. <laughs> <laughs> you have you have time and varied interests and you have things you're working on and interesting pursuits and I I think I think it could be so life-giving for everybody involved if we could just stop for a moment and consider, hey, maybe we should text them and see if maybe they want to go to the high school football game with us tonight. I mean, maybe they would like yeah. it, you know? Maybe they would like to be with us. Yeah, I
1: think that you're right. I think that's a really good point. That's a really interesting thing to bring up. I'm glad you did. I think, yeah, I think everybody across the board can benefit from that.
0: Yeah. Well, and they'd be free to say no if they don't exactly. want to, you know, no, no worries. Well, I have loved talking to you today. I want to end our time together by giving some, some of us some inspiration from how you've handled resistance and hard things, because you've said, if something makes me uncomfortable, then that's my signal that I need to do it. <laughs> you know, and, and that in a sense is, facing fear, staring it down and doing things scared anyway, um, which I think there's so much breakthrough on the other side of that. And God meets us there. If we'll just believe that he will Um, at the end of your book, you write um, success is liking yourself, liking what you do and liking how you do it. If you don't like something in your life, then change it. If something is holding you back, then conquer it. If you're unhappy, then do something to regain your joy. Understand that your life is your own. It's God's gift to you. Be responsible for your choices, good and bad. It's truly in your hands. You choose your behavior and you choose how to handle the consequences. If you're stuck, then get yourself unstuck. And before you use the word can't, remember how I feel about that. (laughs) Jen, tell us practical tips on facing adversity, resistance, things that make us feel uncomfortable. How can we eliminate that word can't and make something happen that we desire
1: through our mud? Yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be a big firework moment. It doesn't have to be a newsworthy thing. A lot of times it's going to be the the things we find mundane or maybe not so significant i think the everyday little choices but i think that's where it starts it's just like when i started changing the way i ate i didn't i wasn't where i'm at now 7 years ago you started i started just switching whole wheat pasta or switching regular pasta to whole wheat pasta cutting my portions it grew from there so same thing with with getting outside your comfort zone i think just start small And then it's not overwhelming. You can make little decisions every day. If, you know, driving a different car, I don't know, talking to someone you don't know from a different culture or country or language or asking someone who's different to talk to them, see what's Mm -hmm. going on in their life. I mean, it, it could be anything and everything. But I think just knowing that the thing that pushes me is that literally every single time you put yourself outside your comfort zone, you will grow. That is the result. Yes. And so I think that's a that's the best motivator of all. If you want to grow, mm-hmm. then you will grow if you put yourself outside your comfort zone. And nine times out of ten, someone is gonna respect the heck out of you, even if you make yourself look like a crazy person for putting
0: yourself mm-hmm. outside the comfort zone and you're gonna then inspire someone else. right? Well, and you being a person who has faith in Christ, faith in God, you um, shine him when when we make decisions for just moving through our adversity and conquering that you know trusting God is going to use it for good yes. for his yes. glory and it's a it's a chance when others do get inspired to say hey what is that about you like share with me what's going on how do you have the power within yourself to make just make the decisions to do what you're doing and um, I think you've done just that absolutely so. there's power in prayer absolutely Well, Jen, it's been a joy to talk to you today. How can we keep up with what you're doing and um, track you down online and find your new book that's releasing called Everything is Possible?
1: Yeah, I'm so excited for the book. And you can follow me on all my social media, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all under Jen Bricker. Twitter is Jen Bricker, number one. And my website is jenbricker.com. And you can find Everything about the book, everything is possible on all forms of social media. I really hope you guys enjoy it. And thank you so much for having me on today.
0: Uh, well, it's been a joy to talk to you, honestly. I just loved it. And uh, we wish you all the best as you move forward, Jen. Truly. Thank you so much. Well, that's all for this episode. I'm so thankful that Jen joined us. And I hope you were inspired by her story as much as I was. You can find all the links that were mentioned in this episode over at the show notes page, JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 98. Or if you are listening in a podcast app on your phone or iPad or whatever mobile device you have, you can just click on the artwork of this show and underneath that picture, there will be some words and some links and you can click right through to the show notes page and find everything there that you need, including a video of a 2020 interview talking all about her biological sister, Dominique Mociano. So I hope you will check that out and uh, it's just... So amazing how God works in our lives, and uh, there are always surprises ahead for us in good ways. So we have some exciting things that are happening here on the podcast. I should say I have some exciting things that are happening, but I say we because we're in it together. You are in this with me, and this is episode 98. We are closely approaching episode 100, and I just want you to know we will be celebrating that day by the release of my new e-course, Connecting With Your Teen. And I took my own advice last from last week. If you missed the episode about resistance and how to face resistance and overcome resistance and some practical tips, you should go back and listen to episode 97 because we talked all about that. And so I took that advice. I made a huge list, a brain dump of all the things I needed to do. I set a date. I reversed it with a to-do list. And so I decided episode 100, we are releasing the e-course and I can't be more excited. I have a lot of surprises, a lot in store. You're going to hear more about it in the next week or two. Uh, I will be on Facebook. I will be all in all the places and I can't wait to share it with you. But In celebration, I would love nothing more than to hear from you. I would like to hear from you about what Mud Stories has meant to you over the course of a hundred episodes. Now, you can send me an email at Jackie at JackieWatkins.com or find me on any of the social media sites. But better yet, I would love to hear your voice. And the way you can do that, you can go to my website, JackieWatkins.com. On the sidebar, there's a little green tab that says leave a message here and you can leave me a voicemail message through an app called SpeakPipe. And it will just record your message to me up to two minutes and then I'll be able to hear your voice. And I would love to be able to share those on episode 100. So if you are inspired or you're brave enough come on, I know you can do it. Head on over there and leave a voice message for me and I can't wait to hear what it is that has moved you and touched you, what maybe there's a favorite episode you had or something that was a mind shift for you in something that a guest shared. I would love to hear what Mud Stories has meant to you, what it's done for you, and just the way that um, you have been more open to allowing God to meet you in the muddy places of your life. It is my greatest privilege to join you each and every week talking about these muddy stories. So go over and do that. I can't wait to hear what you have to say. And before we go, don't forget to subscribe to the show. I don't want you to miss anything. If you go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash iTunes, you can click on subscribe. And then every single week, the new episode will release and it'll come directly to your device. And I love being subscribed to shows that I look forward to because even if they're not there exactly on the moment I'm expecting it, I know as soon as it's available, it's just going to automatically come to my device and I won't miss anything. So go do that if you haven't already. I can't wait to meet you here next week. Please know, whatever mud it is you're facing today, I want you to know you are so very loved and you are never, ever alone. Have a beautiful day.